I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Hello, you're listening to the Curiously Specific Book Club, the podcast that's curiously specific about dates and locations in well-known books, presented by Lloyd Shepherd and Tim Wright. You join us for part two of our podcast on Day of the Triffids by John Wyndham. Yes, we're, we've, we've been through the apocalypse in, in London. London's not in good shape, right? No, so we've got to get out of there. So you've got Triffids, you've got Plague, you've got various bits of violence. It's all looking pretty, pretty shoddy in London. Yeah, there so, were pubs, though. There were pubs. There were pub- the pubs were free as well. I mean, there was a... You could just walk in any pub you like and drink quite, as much as you want. quite a lot of free drinking. I, I, that's not my idea of an apocalypse. <laughs> so uh, our hero, Bill Mason, is, uh, is headed out of town in a lorry full of provisions... First of all, he's going to go to uh, Devizes, um, but we're not going to go all that way. No, we're going to give you some ideas about where, where he may where have he gone. Yeah. yeah, but then we're going to go out to West Sussex, which is where he heads next. Yes, so uh, we're going to go to Steep, and then we're going to drive across what we're now thinking of as the Wyndham Way uh, the, over to Pulborough, because Steep is where John Wyndham lived. In search of a farm, in search of a farm on the north face of the South Downs. Okay, I needed to be told that rather confusingly. Now, don't forget, if you sign up as a Patreon supporter. One of the perks will be that you never have to wait to listen to the second part of any adventure. You can access it straight away. And we're also offering plenty of other fun extras. Yeah, we put all our show notes up on Patreon with lots of links to the research that we've done, but also videos, pictures, hand-drawn maps, so you can go on your own adventure. Yeah, you should be able to track down this farmhouse yourself. Absolutely. You'll Um, need a lorry. You'll need a lorry. You need to be full of provisions. And you probably need to be wearing a ski suit. (laughs) But first, let's start... At John Wyndham's house. John Wyndham's own house in the village of Steep on the border between Hampshire and Sussex. We are sitting up as we started. We're sitting on a bench next to John Wyndham's house. John Wyndham's house. In the village of Steep near Petersfield in uh, in Hampshire. I'm sitting on a bench with an... In front of me, an information board. Countryside says, access in countryside steep. Countryside access in steep. And obviously, we've come here mainly to see John Wyndham's house, where he moved here from the Pen Club in 1963 with his new wife and to live, be near the school he went to, Beedales, which is also in steep. Yes. And it's quite interesting, actually. Can you come here? We weren't quite expecting this because we, we, we're going to be looking for the farmhouse, Sherning Farm where him and Gisela take shelter for a few chapters towards the end of the book. But actually, it's quite interesting because of the, uh, that John Winner's house is on one side of a valley. Is that a valley? Would you say that was a valley or just a... 
Just a cut. A ridge. A ridge. And on the other side is a rather grand house that's like a... It looks like a country house, but it's actually an adapted farmhouse, we think. With a view over the, the town. Yeah. What about the Sussex Downs, Gisela suggested? I know a lovely old farmhouse on the north side looking right across towards Poolborough. It's not on the top of the hills, but it's well up the side. And that fits the bill. I mean, we're not saying that's the house. But it's it could well have been the inspiration then. Yeah, for the but house. it's fairly typical across the Sussex Downs. Yes. There are a lot of red-roofed, sort of shingled-roofed, Converted yeah. farmhouses that London stockbrokers. Well, have he's, he's, up. he says later on uh, about Sherning. It had been a farm until some twenty-five years before, and it still looked like a farm. But in reality, it had become a country house. Sussex and the neighbouring counties were well dotted with such houses and cottages, which tired Londoners had found adaptable to their needs. And that's very much that up there, isn't it? Well, and this and that's steep, to some extent. Yeah. Although the the town is dominated, I'd say by. Beedales, Beedales for school. school. And probably, you know, pre-World War II, but even more so. When yeah. it, he but loved this place. He loved coming clearly. down here at the weekend, didn't he? I think he spent his summers here as well, and Easter, and any time he could. So he was based at the Pen Club. We think he moved into the Pen Club in about 1933, something like that. Yeah. So best part of 30 years he was in so the Pen Club in London. So he'd been at school in Beedales, right? Until 1921, right? Yes. So less than, so, so 10 years later... He's, uh, he's in an, another institution that's yeah. a bit like a boarding the school. The pen club, yeah. Until, he, until 1960, when he gets married to the woman who lives in the room next door to him at the pen yeah. club. Yeah, and, uh, and they and moved down here. Spends the last years of his life back down right by his old boarding school. In the house behind us. I wonder if they've still got a lawn there, though. Ah, oh, poor old Wyndham. Because he moved down here in 63 and yeah. had a heart attack almost immediately because... Uh, from mowing the lawn. From mowing the lawn. because He'd, he'd never, never, he'd he'd never, never mowed the lawn before. <laughs> but also Grace, his, his new wife, had sort of, she, you know, they got married and, then, and they arrived here and she goes, well, I don't know how to cook. I don't know how to clean. I've been a teacher all my life. Living in the pen club. So he did all the housework as well. He didn't write after that. Write after that. <laughs> he had no time for writing. He was worn out. <laughs> Absolutely. And exhausted. then he keeled over. And then keeled from, over. From the, from the from chores. From the lawn. The terrible domestic chores. Yeah. I know we're both laughing about that, right? Yeah, well, well, yeah. But, uh, you do your own domestic chores, don't you? I do them all. I haven't had a heart attack yet. I have a woman that does and we don't have a lawn, so we'll be all right. But yeah, this is good, isn't I, it? But I don't do any writing it's as true. a result. It's true. It's good, isn't it? This is good. It's very atmospheric. It's very Triffidy land type place of Sussex, England, yeah. but with danger lurking in the hedges. Yeah. Quite literally, he says, actually, in one of his few interviews that we found, that he got the inspiration for the Triffids walking around here yeah. in the evening, I think he said in the dark, and that he had seen brambles sort of um, yeah, being the, blown over the top of the, the hedges of in the dark, yeah, the silhouette yeah. of brambles, and it felt like they were coming to try and stab him and sting oh, him. That's good, isn't it? But it feels like Wiltshire, New Forest to here, these are all country drives, aren't they? They are. They're all country drives that he's taken with grace over the years. Yeah, well, a, a, yeah. I, a, do you know what? My impression is that he didn't bring Grace down here, actually. Oh, um, she was working. That he, was, he, he stayed here with his family friends, the Barkers. Biff Barker. Biff Barker? Biff Barker. Fine, Biff. bloody good bloke, Biff. Hello, Biff. It's Harris here. I was thinking of coming down for the weekend. <laughs> uh, I say Harris because that's, that's his real name, isn't it? John Harris. Yeah, John Harris, yeah. Uh, they all refer to him in the documentary in the Penn Harris. 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 I'm not saying Harris was an unfriendly man, but he was not very easy to talk to. No. 
And they didn't seem to know that he was a writer. No, Harris. No, he kept himself to himself. We didn't even know there was John Wyndham was, was the same as John Harris. So, but he was down here and he stayed at Biff Barker's house in a Steep, lot in, in the 1930s. Because he was the woodwork teacher at Beedales. Yes, he was. And he would have been hanging around with all the staff of Beedales yeah. in the 1930s. Would have been like being on the staff. Would have been like being at the school. Yeah. What they say about Beedales, by the way, is uh, that he was there quite early. It was founded not too many years uh, before he went there, Wyndham went there. Yes. So he's one of the early pupils. And it's a very progressive school, right? Yes, they had boys they and had girls. They had boys and together. girls in the same And it was school. very outdoorsy. In terms of their outward burning, they were doing things like uh, mucking out the stables and uh, mm. chopping down trees and, do, uh, and, and shooting. We didn't do shooting. that in my school. And, um, and they had, uh, the woodwork thing was a big part of the whole thing, was you had to be able to use a lathe and be Self-sufficiency. Self-sufficiency. So, there we get a lot of the Triffidy stuff about Bill Mason is yeah, he's yeah. saying, well, now civilization has broken down. We've got to learn to be more hands-on and, and, um, well, and you live off the land. The character of Coker in the book, he does that extraordinary mansplaining session with the poor young woman in, uh, in Tinsham about, yeah. it's not that women can't do this stuff. They've just been too lazy to ever learn how to do it. Well, learn how to do it. <laughs> And, you know, you're perfectly capable. You might not be quite as good as the men, but you can have a go. Right. There's an extraordinary... Pre- and this, is a, this is a conversation... Is Coker based on the woodwork t-shirt, do we no, think? No, I think that... No. OK. I, I think that, that Coker is based on John Wyndham's internal dialogue with Grace about who's going to mow the lawn. <laughs> I think that's probably true. Do you consciously set limits on these fantastic patterns? Do you limit your fantasy, or is it a case of anything goes? Well, I wouldn't say they're all evil, but of course there do have to be limits. The, um, what one starts with is the theme, and then you work it out to the logical conclusion as far as possible. But there is a, an upward and a, a lower limit, and Sometimes it works out so that the lower limit, well, is unacceptable. It's, it's unpleasant. So what are triffids? Ah, what are triffids? Yeah. Well, they're you, a plant. You, they're, yeah, they're, they're a hybrid. They've been crossbred with, they're part turnip. Did you know that? I didn't know they were part turnip. Yeah, it does say that in the book somewhere. <laughs> they're part turnip. Attack of the Killer Turnips. Uh, yeah, it's Day with of the, the one, Turnip. With the little... <laughs> that, that was the initial title, Day of the Turnips. The publisher turned it down. <laughs> so he hybridised them. Right? <laughs> the Day of the Turnips to I've got still. A, I've got a reading for you here. Okay. Russia, who shared with the rest of the world the problem of increasing food supplies, yeah. which is, for 1951, very topical, was known to have been intensely concerned with attempts to reclaim desert, steppe and the northern tundra. In the days when information was still exchanged, Russia had reported some successes. Later, however, a cleavage of methods and views had caused biology there, under a man called Lysenko, to take a different course. So Lysenko is so mentioned. This, this chap this Lysenko, Lysenko, yeah. Let's not forget, of course... He's real, right? He's a real person. No, he's a real person. He's an an interesting figure in history, let me say. So Lysenko is in charge of, is Stalin's mate, who's in charge of of food production across Russia. He was very gifted around grafting. Yeah. Well, he was an anti-geneticist, wasn't he? He didn't believe in Mendel. He thought that was... Well, Stalin wasn't... It's it's an ideological war, that. It's just about the idea 
that that's a sort of Western science thing. Exactly. And Imperial. It, it must be Imperialistic, not yeah. recognised. Yeah. So his belief was that, that plants could inherit sort of hardy attributes from parent plants that had just endured hard conditions. Yeah. So that if a parent plant had got through a Russian winter, yeah. then the, the plants that came after it, uh, that you, you grew from it, would be hardened to winter. Well, there was something. It's almost like he believed that the plants could learn how to yes. develop yes. stuff. Yes. He called it. He called it. What was it? Vernalization. He believed in in plant intelligence that yeah. they'd also support each other as well yeah. by sharing resources yeah, yeah, yeah. and stuff, which actually is now seen to be true. Yeah. Um, so he's not trees, a com- right? he's not a complete nutter. Yeah. He was good at his job, and he and he did increase. He's quite a nasty person. Well, he did increase yields quite significantly. Sadly, though, his, his, his ideas were then inherited by the Chinese Communist Party, right. uh, and they really didn't work there. No. So you could say that Lysenkoism, as it's called, was yeah. responsible for millions of deaths in yeah. China yeah, yeah. as a result of his wiki yeah, yeah. ideas about how you, how you create more hardy plants. Yeah. So he's a very controversial figure. Now, the other thing about him is he's a very ruthless figure. So he's not actually the father of Russian food science. There's another guy called Vavilov, who was, until Lysenko turned up, was uh, the Don. The of, Don, the of, Seed Don. Yeah, uh, seed, and not just of Russia, but was recognised globally as one of the great experts. But he, this young guy, Lysenko, came along and, did, and Vavilov agreed with Mendel about mm. genetic research. And Lysenko, by being a pal of Stalin's, discredited him to the point that he was imprisoned mm. and died in prison in 1943 I think 1943 somewhere around there so this guy Vavilov is really interesting because he went round the world as a young man collecting seeds mm. and then he took them back to Russia and he created the world's largest seed bank with 250,000 different types of seed mm. and he experimented mm. on crossbreeding the seeds <laughs> I wish you could see Tim's face now. It's yeah. like, a, yeah, it's like a so this is mad scientist. Well, it's, like, it's like watching Reanimator. But obviously, within a Stalinist environment, then none of this information was allowed out of Russia. No. So Wyndham's talk of all this stuff of weird seed breeding going on in Russia to produce weird yeah. hybrid plants—it's on point, right? It's all true, right? It's all true. It's all true. Because in the book, somebody somebody tries to get the seeds out on a plane, and the plane is shot down. And the, seeds uh, and the seeds go explode, up into the go up into this, this, atmosphere uh, and then start landing all over the world. Yeah. yeah. It's good, actually. It's a really it's a good, great idea. It's a great idea. Now, look, what happened to this? What happened to the seed bank? Yeah, yeah. Do you know? Well, no. Oh. I don't know, Tim. The Leningrad seed bank, right, was diligently preserved and protected after Vavilov's death. They kept hold of it. Um, but it came under threat during the war, obviously, during the siege of Leningrad. Right. The Nazis were after the seed bank. Really? Is that one of the reasons they were there? Well, yeah, I'm okay. going to... <laughs> so, so while the Soviets ordered the evacuation of the Hermitage, they didn't evacuate the seed bank. They, they decided they needed to protect it. A group of scientists... This is Wikipedia. A group of scientists at the Vavlov Institute boxed up a cross-section of seeds, moved them to the basement, and took shifts protecting them. Those guarding the seed bank refused to eat its contents, even though by the end of the siege, in the spring of 1944, nine of them have died of starvation. God. It was that important. God. Come to the present day, um, there's a battle to save. It's still there. Till then, 
St. Petersburg now, right? Yes, it moved to St. Petersburg, the Pavlovsk Research Station, also known as the Vavilov Research Institute of Plant Industry. He's, right. been, he's been reinstated. Lysenko's been slightly... So do we think there are Triffid seeds in that, in that seed bank? Well, it says here the station's infantry includes almost a 1,000 types of strawberry. <laughs> so, including, including killer ones. A, a similar number of blackcurrant varieties. But it says here more than half of the blackcurrant varieties grown in Russia, the world's leading producer, were bred at this one institute. Sales of black currants in Russia are valued at more than $400 million annually. So I think there's probably a bit of black currant in a Triffid. Well, I'm a bit worried now because my favourite drink in the world... Ribena, is, right? Is, no, Vimto. OK. Which is famously... You called, know Ribena used to be called Tribena, don't you? <laughs> well, the thing about Vimto is it's a secret recipe. No one knows what the recipe is. Yeah. Vimtov. Maybe sounds a bit Russian. Maybe they're, Vimtov. Vimtov. Maybe they're turning me into a Triffid. Yeah, 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 yeah. Obviously, the Research Institute is under threat from the oligarchs like the rest of us as right. we sit in our bunker waiting for World War Three to start yeah. with the invasion of Ukraine. The oligarchs want to knock it all down and put in luxury flats for their mates. Are you serious? I'm serious. So it's an it, article in The Guardian about it's, the whole thing, campaign to save the seed bank. It's under threat by property developers. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah, yeah. But here's the thing in the new scientist I got hold of. Lost treasures, the Soviet seed bank. Botanist Nikolai Vavilov collected seeds and plants to help feed the Soviet Union. Sort of. Yeah. What happened to the 40,000 samples stolen by Nazi commandos? <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> Good, huh? Oh, well, yeah. So here, it says here, records are sketchy. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But some of them, so it says here, a Soviet commission claimed that 40,000 samples were destroyed or lost during the war while many were probably absorbed into the collections of German institutes, the st- seeds stored at Lanark Castle in Scotland are still unaccounted for. We got hold of some of them. Some of them have ended well, up in... you say Sw- we, you, the Scots got hold of some of them. Some of them have ended up in Sweden, some in Argentina, and some in England, perhaps carried here by the Nazi castle stewards. The what? Who were the well, Nazi they, no, they took them to like a, Na- a band. No, but basically, what happened was they took forty thousand seeds, took them back to a Nazi castle in Germany. Right. Then there was obviously a bit of a rush between the Russians and the Americans to yeah. get to the castle first. Is this a film with Richard Burton and uh, Clint Eastwood where they have to go and where get some seeds, seeds from a castle? They're actually get, they're actually they're after Triffid they're seeds. They're after Triffid seeds. <laughs> you see, it's no, the subtext. Anyway, the Allies got hold of them, and then they've been distributed around the around the world for research purposes. So. Um, so seeds turned out to be more interesting than I could ever have imagined. Yeah, and it, it had to end up with the Nazis, didn't it? Oh, good. Go, girl, go. It's too darn hot. It's too darn hot. I'd like to suck with my baby tonight. Refill the cup with my baby tonight. Crazy! By midday, the clouds had gathered and the rain began once more when at five o'clock we pulled up on the road just short of Pulborough. It was still pouring hard. Where do we go now, inquired Susan. That, I acknowledge, is just the trouble. It's somewhere over there. I waved my arm towards the misty line of the downs to the south. Very good. 
I like the fact a lorry started up just as you read that bit. Yep. So you should have kept reading it because the next bit's good. Go on, Neve. I had been trying hard to recall just what else Gisela had said of the place, but I could remember no more than that the house stood on the north side of the hills and I had the impression that it faced across the low, marshy country that separated them from Pulborough. So... And also, this is quite good. <laughs> Half an hour later, the rain obligingly held off for a while. We left the lorry and sat on a wall side by side. So we're quite close to a wall. We are. We're in so the memorial we're garden. We're in the car park in Pulborough. In the car park in Pulborough. This used to be the cattle market, apparently. So Pulborough is a, a village, or a town really, in uh, West Sussex. And it's just north of the South Downs, if that doesn't sound too confusing. Um, and it looks towards the South Downs, across the valley of the River Arran. Yes, as in Arundel. And we've got a great view here, right across and to the ridge. So he stops the... He, you know, he gets himself up... He sets himself up with a lorry light, doesn't he? And signals across the valley to see if anyone else sees his signal. And we were both quite sceptical driving into Pulborough that you would be able to see anything because it's quite far to the, to the downs from here. But now, in a gap between the buildings by the car park... It's very plausible. We're sort of buying it, aren't we? I'm buying it. I'm buying the whole John Wyndham Way experience. The John Wyndham Way. So we've I think driven. we've got a cultural trail on our hands. And we've also got a question that's, that's arisen yeah. as a result so of having driven from, it. We've come from steep. We've come from steep. We've driven... The um, route that he would have taken in his lorry, more or less. West to east to along the here. A272. The A272 is, 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 is a John Wyndham drive. It's the John Wyndham... Well, my brother, who we've just been speaking to, lives in this part of the world, um, called it the South Downs Motorway, the A272. Ah, I think we're calling it the Wyndham Way, aren't we? The Wyndham Way. Um, now, it, it goes from Steep through Petersfield, yep. then Midhurst, or, or Midwich. Midwich, if you know the Wyndham other novel fans. by John Wyndham is Midwich Cuckoos. And then Petworth. And then through Petworth. And we had a question. <laughs> well, I was a bit surprised, I must say. You know this area better than I, I do. I know this area better than, better than you. So um, anyone, who's, said, anyone who's been to Petworth yeah. will be aware of a... Uh, a singular fact about Petworth, which is actually built on the corner of Petworth House and Petworth Park, which is surrounded by a massive wall. It really is like a fort. <laughs> it's, like a, it's like a big old fort. So the question we have to ask of you, Mr Wyndham, more of an observation than a question, is that you've made Bill and everyone else find this kind of farm on the makeshift farm makeshift farm on the side they spent of the spent six years building downs. an electric fence and where, trying to keep the trip out m- merely four miles away there's a massive massive house <laughs> with a massive brick stone wall all the way around it yeah the Triffids ain't getting and over that wall and a huge amount of land for farming yeah. and growing food you could, you could live in there for ye- for decades and it's got it's got a lake I think fresh yeah. water in right yeah, yeah so it's a bit of a so why not well there's an interesting point about that to my mind is that very early on Bill the narrator says we probably need to get out of London. Yeah. Probably the best kind of place to go to would be a boarding school or a farm. <laughs> <laughs> right? And yeah. meanwhile, yeah. everybody else is going to a stately home yeah. or a moated yeah. for a castle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But he's going to a boarding school or a farm. But if you're a John Wyndham fan, strongly recommend driving that road. It's, it's really atmospheric. It's like you said, you know, it's red tiles, red brick. Yeah. Woods, farmhouses, and it's farm fields houses. with horses and cows, and, you, and then you think, oh yeah, I could imagine a triffids, a few yeah, triffids yeah. barreling across yeah, yeah, this yeah, field. Yeah, yeah. You go through some uh, some quite wooded areas, the very thick sort of wood, but thin trees. 
which is a bit spooky. Yeah. There's some quite nice, narrow, steep roads. But if you're in a, an old truck or lorry, it'd be yeah. quite a good drive. Yeah. It'd be quite fun. Yeah. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Okay, so we are in Pulborough, uh, in, uh, in the car. And uh, I'm gonna, we're going to follow the, 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 the book and see where it takes us. We're going to find this farm. We're going to hope to find the farm. So, to cross the low marshland, it was necessary to take a road a little to the west of us, and then work back to the east along the foot of the hill. So, we're, to the west we're heading a little bit west now. Oh, this is good. And so, I think this works. I'm always excited by these bits where you just try and use the book to get to a place. Yeah, it's 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 always a bit surprising. If you actually find anything. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I'm Bill Mason driving a lorry, right? You are driving a lorry. <laughs> that makes you Susan. Yeah. <laughs> you can see how we would have struggled to find it. Yes, well, one of the highlights of the book for me is one of the residents of the farm who's blind yeah fashions a helmet yeah and uh, takes a whole load of twine yeah. and makes an outing to the village one mile away yeah gets back using using the twine to 
yeah. make a tra trail to then be able to track back whilst yeah. being attacked by triffids all the way there and back. Yeah. And it's very vividly told. It's actually. quite heroic, isn't it? And it's it's great. It's the moment where I thought, oh no, this is really scary. Yeah. So I was quite intrigued by the fact that, you know, if you could find a farmhouse that's one mile from a village, yeah. And then, you know, we could we could run a bit of twine down there and everyone could have if a go. You, if you've got they? a mile's worth of twine on you. <laughs> Miles worth of twine. <laughs> so, this is good now actually because that is look, you can uh, see. Now, a, there's, there's a big a, ridge up there. That, that, and there's a big chalk excavation there as well. Chalky! This is much more like it about trying to go in a truck around here trying to find somewhere. Yeah. This feels much more like it. We ran on further down the road, then Susan caught a glimmer between the branches to our right. The next turning was lucky as it took us back at a slant up the side of the hill until we were able to see a small brilliantly lit square of window half a mile or low along the slope. Oh. So that's up there. And here is a fantastic view can across the We thing. can see a house there, but can you see all the way to Paulborough? I think you can, isn't that Paulborough on the top of the hill? Yes, I think it is. I think it is. Hold on. We could Get it. Should we want to just pull out and have a look? Should I just stop here a minute? <sighs> up there, I went on. Up there, there were, and maybe there still are, unknown numbers of satellite weapons circling round and round the Earth. Just a lot of dormant menaces touring around, waiting for someone or something to set them off. What was in them? You don't know. I don't know. Top secret stuff. All we've heard is guesses. Fissile materials, radioactive dusts, bacteria, viruses. Now suppose that one type happened to have been constructed especially to emit radiations that her eyes would not stand. Something that would burn out or at least damage the optic nerve. So this is the idea that kind of emerges later on in the book. That the blindness was not caused by a meteor shower. It was actually potentially caused by something man-made, and the candidate for that is, is satellites. Now, remember, this book was written in, started writing in 1949, came out in 1951. There was no satellites in, up in, above the, as far as we know. Ah, uh, as far as, as, far we, as know. we know. About, so the first satellite was obviously Sputnik in yes. October 1957, so okay. six years after the book came out. But... It was, it was in the air, and actually Arthur C. Clarke, who we've mentioned already... The Man of a, a Thousand, of a thousand hands. hands. He actually became quite famous in uh, writing a letter in 1945 to the um, publication Wireless World. OK. And he was a young officer in the Royal Air Force, and he was based in Stratford-upon-Avon. It's supposed to be the first publicly articulated vision of a technology that would change the world. Clarke actually talked about the V2 bombs threatening London at the time, and he said that the, the same technology could be used to send a payload into space. And he explicitly refers to the Nazis looking at this in the same time. Well, of course they were, because Bernard von Braun was working on it. Yeah, That's why the, the Americans wanted him for the NASA, exa the NASA exactly, program. Exactly. And Clark wrote that he thought such a system could be developed within 50 to 100 years. So he thought it was a long way away. Ah. Which kind of leads us into dating a little bit, right? Because well, it's a good point. When you, as soon as you said, ah, oh, satellites didn't actually happen until 1957... I'm thinking, oh, he's got an idea about dates here. Well, I have about got an when, idea when, about when, dates. when is this book set? I have got an idea about yeah. it. So shall we, shall, we, shall we go on to dating? I fear this is going to be controversial. I fear it is. There's only one specific date given in the book. Yes. Wednesday the 8th of May. 
Right at the beginning. Right at the beginning. Yeah. He says it's Wednesday the 8th That's of May. That's when the book opens, basically. Yeah. If you look up when the 8th of May fell on a Wednesday. Yes. In the years following 1951. I did that, yeah. It could be 1957. Okay, so interestingly, that's, the year that Sputnik launched. That's a very that's um, that's that gives him credit points. I'd yeah. say it could be 1963, it could be 1968, it could be 1974. I don't think it's any of those. It could be 1986. I don't think it's any of those. Oh, okay. Okay, so here's here's hold it, on a minute. Here's All my right. where are you going with here's this? Here's my methodology. Okay. Okay. So um, the hero in the book, Bill Mason. Yeah. He describes himself as being close on 30 years. Yes, he does. The the guy who's trying to sell the seeds to mm-hmm. uh, the the oil company yeah. basically says you could be producing oil within five years after receiving the seeds. Right? Ah, um, name, and the other the other data point is that Bill is stung as a boy by a triffid that's growing in his garden. Yes. Um, okay. So, so it's uh, all happened. Yeah, we talked about Lysenko. Uh, Lysenko published his first paper in 1928. There's also references to newsreels. The first television station broadcast in 1928. The first broadcast in Britain was by the BBC in 1936. So it could predate that, those newsreels. All right. Let's say, for example, that Triffids were invented under Lysenko in the early 1930s. Yes. Right? That would mean the earliest that you could start producing seed-bearing Triffids was 1935. (laughs) <laughs> right? I like it. Um, so let's assume the plane is shot down in 1935. Yes. The triffid in the garden is described as being at least a year old. Yeah. So let's say 1936 at the earliest. Well, it it doesn't yeah. grow that tall in a year, does it? Well, let's let's just From say seed to ten foot tall in a year. I'm I'm I'm, obje- I'm doing this through induction rather than deduction. Okay. Um, so let's Bill is a boy when he's stung. Let's say six or seven. Yes. So let's say his birthday is around 1930, oh, right? which would date the okay. book at around 1957. But, big but, I don't think that's when it happened, right? There's one mention to Hitler's war. Yes. And also the thing about satellites was yeah. if it all happened in that time frame, Wyndham knew there were no satellites in the, in the, during the, in the 30s and 40s. So he's describing a future... Right, that is an unspecified time in the future. So it can't have happened in that time frame because otherwise there would be no satellites and everyone would know there would be no satellites. So for satellites to be the cause, the date must be at least 1957 and probably probably a good deal later. So if you take what I just did there... but You've done all the detail, but then you haven't come up with a date. I have. Just bear with me. You're so impatient. Come on, get on with me. So um, Lysenko wasn't denounced until 1962. Yes. So he was operating for over 30 years. Mm. Was he denounced for messing about with Triffids? I put it to you. Is that why they finally went for him? So that's when the leaks start. So the seeds start to creep out from 1962. Seeds lands in Bill's garden in 1963. 30 years from that is 1991, which is also a date 8th of May falls in. Now, 1991 is interesting for multiple reasons. Soviet Union was dissolved. Nevermind was released. (laughs) Oh, okay. The World Wide Web was invented, and two things that I really I love this date for. Good. The largest solar flare ever recorded was in 1991. And also, on the 12th of February 1991, at a distance of 14.4 astronomical units from the sun, Halley's Comet displayed an outburst 
that lasted for several months, releasing a cloud of dust 300,000 kilometres across. The outburst started in December and it brightened throughout April and May okay, 1991. That's very good. A bit of niche knowledge from Wyndham to start predicting that in 1991, <laughs> but, 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 so there you but go. good. I'm putting it in 1991. 1991? Yeah. Yeah. Do I have some issues with that? Go on. Actually, I should tell you that I've done my usual thing. I started on the 8th of May. I've gone through the book yes. and mapped out Worked each out day of takes, action. Yeah. yeah. So I'm saying that they get to the Schoening farm yeah. before the end of May and that the action of this book takes is uh, to the point from where it opens to finding Schoening Farm and being in Schoening Farm is roughly three weeks. Yeah. There's a couple of days where it goes a bit hazy when he's wandering around um, Swiss Cottage in Hampstead. He, yeah. He's not quite clear how many days that is. Well, that's okay because but, the um, Halley's Comet cloud would have faded away by the end of May. Yeah, so, so I'm saying that at least they got to Schoening Farm by at least the 30th of May, if yeah. not a couple of days before that. Okay. okay? Uh, I'm uh, I'm going to go the you other. You don't like 1991. No, then. I do. I, I love your reasoning, and I I, I like it. But uh, but my other point about him in, in in his imagination, I would say that the eighth of May is itself a very important psychological moment. Right. Because the eighth of May is 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 Freedom from Europe Day. So, so I think people would know that so date the, when they read it. They'd right, go, right, right, right. 8th of May. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Okay. Right. Now, if they said it's Wednesday the 8th of May, yeah. they, would, they wouldn't look forward when they read this book. They'd look back yeah. and they'd go, oh, that's, that's 1946. That's <laughs> one, precisely one year after the end of World War II. Everything the goes, next apocalypse Everything happens. goes wrong again. Yeah. Oh, I like that. So, so that they go, oh, right, yeah, we thought it was all over and going to get better. No, Doesn't it's work. going to get worse. Doesn't work, though, does it? Yeah, and it's one year. Well, it's a, that's imaginative projection. Now, there's another book. There's another book that, that, that's published in 1949, is it? Yeah. That plays the same trick about being about the now but also about the future. Very, very famous book. And it is 1984. Okay. Which, of course, people claim was he'd originally, it's just a transition from 1948. Yeah, just a. He must have read, nine, he must have read 1984, don't you think? A dystopian social science fiction novel, well, a I cautionary don't know. tale. It wasn't published until 1949, 1984. Yeah. So he may not have read it when he was starting writing this book. But, it's, but I think the point is that the story takes place in an imagined future, 1984, but it's actually very 1948 in yeah, terms yeah. of its architecture and all that yeah, kind yeah. of stuff, right? I, I can't help feeling that our positions have become somewhat reversed in this. I know. In this work. It's good, isn't it? You've got really airy, fairy and hand wavy. And you're not focusing on the evidence in the book, Tim. Well, I, I think the 1946... What's the pod, what's, as you always remind me, what's the podcast called? <laughs> it's, always... called uh, it's called Curiously Specific About Dates and Locations. <laughs> you're being very, very, well, what if? Oh, I'm sorry, Lord. <laughs> Shall I stop now? No, I've got no. one other point. To I make. quite no. I quite. I like. I like the. Uh, I like the 1946. That's very good. I'll give you that. Did it's you know, wrong, by the good. way, that the the Ministry of Information in 1984 yeah. is uh, the building? Do you know what it's based on? I don't. The Senate House. Oh, at UCL. Mm. Very good. Mm. That's nice. Mm. Okay, I'll allow you your vague, vague or vague well connection, but just to just to get that in. That is good though. That, that, 
But, but it, if we had, to, I've never if, heard anyone make that connection with the Senate House. Those two books. There you go. No, you can copyright that one. Thank you very much. It's just that it's set in 1991. <laughs> <laughs> so we're saying the 8th of May 1991. I'm saying that, yes. Yeah, I, li- I like that. I think if you, were, again, listener, if you read this book with that idea in mind, yeah. that it's actually set in 1991, <laughs> that could be quite fun. It could be quite about fun. About what's actually going on in May in 1991. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> This is exciting. We, we think we've we think we found it, don't we? Yes. So we're on the we're walking we're sort of halfway up the north side of the South Downs. Uh, we're looking north towards Pulborough. We're in a place called Rackham. Rackham, Packham, and Stackham. Is there a Tintin story about Rackham? Red Rackham's treasure. Red Rackham's Very treasure. Good. There's a place we've driven around for a long time, sort of mimicking Bill Mason. In his lorry, the farm. in the driving rain, where his girlfriend awaits. And um, we, th- we found a place called Rackham Farm, which is... Very promising. Very prominent and promising on sort of a, on a hill. That you it's can got, shine a light up there and you might see it from Poolborough. You might see it from... You can just about see Poolborough from just... just sort of, we can't really get into the garden to have a look at it. For it would be nice reasons. to just trespass into these people's um, homes, yes. They've got a lot of... It's a working farm. They've got cows. And it is just over a mile from the lovely village of Amberley. Yeah. So if you were holed up here and you had a mile of twine... <laughs> it's still, it still seems somewhat <laughs> unlikely, doesn't it? But, uh, Who you, keeps a mile of twine in their house? You could probably get to Amberley. But there doesn't seem to be any other good candidates really along here. I mean, I think Rackham, it doesn't quite fit the bill. I think he's probably cut a few corners on it, but um, it, fits mo- it ticks most of the boxes. Yes, well, I think from the back garden, there's a moment in the book where Bill, when they're considering going to the Isle of Wight, he's, he decides he's going to have one last sit down in the garden. Yes. And look back a, a, across the flats. Yes. Which he does. He does. And, uh, so you've got to be able to sit in the garden and do yeah. that, right? Yeah, yeah. Should we just have a little look down here? Which I think you could probably do. Yes, so I think from Rackham Farm at the back there, you could have a little bench and look out across the plain. Yeah. Can I just say, point out one thing yeah. about wandering around here? There's quite a lot of brambles growing up over the hedges. There are. That are wavering around in the wind. There are. Like the sting of a triffid. It's got atmos, hasn't it, around here? The hills and the sky and the wind. If you built an electric fence along here to keep them out of this field, yeah, it'd be quite good, wouldn't it? Is that the farm? That's the farm up there, then. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's good. This isn't is the it? lower field. It works. Where they break, in, they keep breaking in, and Susan has to use her flamethrower. She does. Susan's quite handy with the flamethrower. <laughs> she is. <laughs> so all in all, success. I think so. I love it. Are you getting any sense? that Wyndham was here. That's the doubt I have about the farm, I think. I've got no doubt that he drove around here and ha- had the idea of signalling from Paulborough to the other side of the villa- of, uh, valley. Whether he specifically went to that farm, I'm not 100% convinced about. Do you think he did a bit but of his a... his description of the lower road and the upper road... Was good. 
So I think he's done this, and you know, back to the car conversation, he's done this in a car okay. of some description. Okay, good. I was wondering whether he may he's have not done, done it on foot. Has he done it on foot, you think? No. Bike, bicycle? No. <laughs> he's not a bike man. He's a club man. Jet black guy with a hip by five. I was just wondering whether he'd done a bit of a Jack Higgins. Is that he'd, he'd looked gone to out Paulborough. from Pulborough and thought <laughs> somewhere over there. But that could be it. That could be it. He got for Pulborough and then he looked at the map. And he got, oh, there's a lower there. road. Yeah, that could work. I could, I could buy that. Because if he's coming, if he's doing his John Wyndham freeway. I beg your pardon. Yeah, it's <laughs> the John, the John Wyndham Trail. I don't trail. think Grace was into that. <laughs> I don't even know what that means. <laughs> I don't even understand the euphemism. Do we want to talk about um, whether we like this book? Yes, we should do that. Um, uh, are we going to do a rating as well? Let's do a rating. rating. So a Q-spec rating. So we've got two. We've got a rating for artistic merit. Yes. And a rating for curiously specificity. Yes. Q-spec. Yes. Where are you going with this? Uh, well, so I re- read this book when you I was... You were raging when, when I When I read this book this. when I was, uh, I don't know, 14 or something, yeah. I don't really remember what my feelings about it were. I mean, I remember it being creepy, but yeah. I don't remember much more about that. When I reread it for this, I was I just thought it was, I just thought it was rubbish. If I'm honest, the first time I reread it, mm. and the way it kind of just kind of ends in a sort of like you it's know, got a really bad ending, really not very it just resolved. drifts off, doesn't so it? So I would have barely given it a four, I think. Oh, when I really? Read. But rereading it, um, I still think the ending's rubbish. But the the style of the writing and the thought that's given to the the plot and the structure of the book, I think I I, I would I'd go much higher. I think I'd probably give it a seven. Wow. After that, because you know, I do think it's it stands up really well as a novel. Okay. So I, I push, I, you know, and I tend to score these things higher than you. Well, in this case, I might. I was thinking I was going to go a bit lower, actually. Okay. Well, I love his high concept, and I'm very much drawn to the voice of the book of it being this sort of pre-war Englishman's voice trying to come to terms with the post-war Britain and of of the of the future and science. Yeah. The idea that you get an old sort of London club man to tell you the story of a the of a dystopian future is quite a funny idea in itself. Which he, I don't think he was conscious that he was doing that. No. So that's why I'm going to mark it down because okay. I think it's it's a really interesting read because it's some old school guy struggling with new with the new world. Yeah. And as a result, his writing, his language is a bit odd. I think it is a bit odd. Yeah, I think it's a bit odd. It's quite Wellsian at times. Yeah, though, and I think he just bangs on sometimes. He's got some concepts. Some, of goes, the le- some so- chapters are just him banging but on also about some of something. The, some of the, le- the lecture that Coca gives the poor woman in, the, yeah. in Tinsham about how women just yeah. need to buck up. I think there like, is, there's quite a lot of mansplaining. Yeah, there is mansplaining. There's, I just think there are, yeah, there's moments where we, do, we should get on with the plot and stop doing the, the mansplaining. Yeah, yeah. So I'm going to go six. Okay. I'm going to go lower than you. Yeah. 
I've forgotten about artistic the, merit. I think I've gone about that. I've forgotten about the mansplaining a bit. Mm. I think I'd probably go down to six with the mansplaining. Okay, in. let's give so it two a six. sixes. Let's give it a six. Um, curious, no. curious specificity. Mm. Well, obviously, because it's set in 1991, as we've agreed. <laughs> I, okay. uh, it's not. It's not very. It's not very specific about 1991. Given that he's in 1951, he's got to be specific bad. about something 40 years. It's not in the bad. Future. It's not bad. And it's not I, yeah, bad. The locations. He didn't predict Nirvana. Finding, but what can you do? Finding Schoening Farm was a bit of a bit of a moment, uh, and seeing Steep. So I'm going to give it. I'll probably go for a seven and a half for curious specificity. Okay. Well, I'm. I'm going to go. I'm going to go eight, because, okay. and I, again, I was going to go lower until we went out there in the field, yeah. and we got to Pulborough, and you see the view, yeah. and you sort of roughly, and we we find a farm, yeah. um, and also in London, that all of that stuff stacks up for me. Yeah. That he's he knows that part of the world very well, obviously because he's a club man and he's yeah. been around there, and I also like the fact that he, he started on a specific time on a specific day, yeah. and he's even giving you the weekday, so he set out to be. One of us, yeah. curiously specific. Now, whether he managed to deliver that is another matter, but I'm going to get, give him the eight. Because I think he'd quite like this podcast, John Wyndham. I think he'd quite approve of the fact that we're being... Thorough. Thorough. You know, in our, mansplaining. In our research, mansplaining. <laughs> we are, we are two men explaining things. Yeah. Um, I think he would quite like that. Yes. Uh, uh, who, who live quite cosseted lives. Yeah. And don't get out much. Well, So that was The Day of the Triffids by John Wyndham. Much more enjoyable than I thought it was going to be, actually. Absolutely. Um, we, should, we should thank various people at this point. I, I'd, like to, I'd like to put a shout-out to all the people living in nice homes in the South Downs who had to put up with us kind of taking pictures of their houses and wandering around. Um, John, the people living in John Wyndham's house, I, mean, I don't know if that's a place that people go, but... Uh, um, you know, and certainly the people it, it at the is, farmhouse. It is now. Yeah, and now we've, we're going to steer a lot of you towards a farmhouse. A particular farmhouse. I hope they don't mind. I hope they don't mind. As usual, I'd like to thank the artist Learning Music on the Free Music Archive as the composer of our little theme tune and loop that we use. Um, that's available on the Free Music Archive as a Creative Commons piece, as are many others well worth checking out. And uh, Stig, our head of marketing, would uh, like to remind us of, otherwise he hits us around the head with a club, that uh, we uh, have a Patreon page where you can subscribe and get immediate access to new episodes before they appear on the, on the main RSS feed. And you can listen to the uh, podcast ad-free. Yes, and we're also on social media. We are on social media. We're on Twitter, which I like. And we're on Instagram, and we also have a Facebook page. Apparently, Stig runs the Facebook page. Yes, he's also told us that we have to try and remind you also that you should uh, please sort of subscribe and like us and comment on the podcast platform of your choice. Otherwise, Um, we'll end up in the dump. Uh, But yeah, like and subscribe. Which, as we know by the way, is a bunker and a golf course. But that's another episode. Yeah, on the North Downs. Oh, can we go somewhere other than Kent, please? Yeah, it's good. The southeast. Um, but uh, join us again soon with another new book for another new adventure. Yes, which won't be in Kent. It won't be in Kent. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping 
and 365-day returns.